We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings. Palmetto Championship. First look, picks, research, and the preview for the week. If you want to play in the best tournament on DraftKings, easy stuff. Hit the description, click on the link to the Pat Mayo Experience. DraftKings Open, 3,000 spots, $15 to play, 3 max entry. No rake thus, making it the best tournament on DraftKings. Also, give me the smash for the like button out there in the comment section. Please tell me who your first first look lean is to win at this week's event where we have never seen a professional event before. Many of us just haven't seen it at all. When we get to the research, you're just going to find out that every single article that you find about this course is just about how how great the billionaires who started it are and how much they give back. I mean, they have billions of dollars. I'm sure they could, instead of building a golf course in order to fund the charity that they're giving out, they just be giving this money away if they really want to be giving it away, I suppose. But it seems like there's an obligation to write about just the philanthropy of all of these billionaires at this golf course. And every single, it's, it's mind-boggling. You, you'd be shocked at how much of each article about this course, even if it's the entire thing, is just about that and relatively little about the course itself. But I did find some decent stuff here. Uh, this is obviously replacing the Canadian Open for the year, which is a bummer because the Canadian Open has been canceled the past two years. And it was the first time the Canadian Open was going to be like 20 minutes from my door before I moved, obviously, when I lived in Toronto as of like a month ago. But 
you know, the, it's still shut down, the border. So hopefully starting next year, I believe it is at Jeff Feinberg's home course, Oakdale. Uh, I don't know if that's next year or the year after for the Canadian Open, but it's a bummer. It's the third oldest national championship in the golfing world. Um, and for two consecutive years, it's not going to be played. The last time that there was a hiccup at all was World War II. So this is what we're looking at right now. Uh, I am doing some giveaways over on the Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, the mix feed, all the short form content. That's where you can find my Wednesday final pick show right now because we've transitioned over into fantasy football for twice a week going forward. Probably only going to be once this week because I think I'm going to do a giant Euro 2021 preview Wednesday on the Pat Mayo experience. There's obviously the newsletter. I try to hit on some more topics. Maybe I'll try to figure out a way to do a quick Q&A within the newsletter if there's a spot that you guys want to dump um, some of your questions into. Because I feel bad getting away from the question and answer. I don't because you can see how angry it makes me most times. Although I do like helping people. There's just enough content uh, out there that, you know, during football season, there's not going to be a live chat. So there will be one for the for the U.S. Open next week, and we have a full slate of content for that. But for your run-of-the-mill week, uh, it'll probably just be the quick 10 to 15 minutes, final picks, weather report, DraftKings ownership type show. And if you listen to the audio version, you can always find all the videos up on Mayo Media Network. Subscribe, by the way. Special like too. Uh, the rest of it will go on to the Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets. Now, if you leave a five-star review on Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, The Mix, subscribe to that feed too. By the way, when you're out there, leave your Twitter handle or email in the address. I'm giving away a whole bunch of entries into the $33, probably three or four. I'm trying to figure it out, depending on how many we get. I'll kind of divvy it up that way. So $33 giveaways for a five-star review, something you enjoy about the show. We've had French Open every single day of the French Open with three bets per day. We're going to be doing the same thing for Euro as well. There's going to be a quick five to ten minute Euro pick show every single day up on that mix for the duration of the tournament. Obviously, I'm not going to be doing it since I don't know anything about soccer, but I found some people who do. So hopefully they can translate that knowledge into some sports betting wins for you. And it's just going to be a good way to keep up to date, like... We were thinking about going full-fledged, doing an everyday, like, hour-long podcast for Euro 2021, but I think that there's enough of that out there, that if people just want some picks, they want to know what happened, who's playing for the day, that they can put on, like, well, they're taking a shower or something like that. Uh, the Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets Euro 2021 coverage is where it's going to be at. So you can find the links in the description of the video and pod to go subscribe to that and get in everything for that right now in terms of the giveaways. So the course that we're looking at, I'm not even going to call it right, Congaree. Congaree. I mean, if it's spelled phonetically, then I think we're pretty good on that front. But like I said, uh, there's very little known about the course itself. So I, I suppose I can just tell you about the field very briefly. It's not a good field. Uh, it's good thing that Brooks wants a tune-up before the U.S. Open, and so does DJ, because they're both playing. That's great news. Hatton is also playing. But after that, like, the next best guys in the field are like Sungjae, Fleetwood, Fitzpatrick, and see, woo, Kim. I mean, I like that. That's fine. It's a 156-man field as well after two straight weeks of the 120, where, I mean, we didn't see it at Memorial with the super high 6 of 6 percentage. We almost got there with the plus threes, but it didn't quite come to fruition. Uh, we're going to go back to, this is going to be a crapshoot week, to be perfectly honest with you. No one really knows anything about this course, what style is going to play. So you probably just want to align all your players into the same mold of guys, and hopefully you pick right. And that's how it turns out. We'll be going over the weather later on in the week too. We do have some like mid-tier guys, like um, Poulter's playing, Van Royen's playing, 
Willett's playing, Patty Harrington's playing, Brennan Grace is playing. He's actually playing pretty well right now. So is Rafa Cabrera-Bayo. They're both in the field. So the international contingent's not so bad. Then you have two guys coming over from Europe. Uh, hit My guy Higo, he's probably still over here, from Europe. Um, the 21-year-old has two wins a year for each of the past three years. Uh, sets up a lot like the trajectory of Matt Wallace, except he's 21 years old. Uh, and he's almost a top 50 player in the world. Like He played like the minor leagues on the Sunshine Tour. I've been over Higo a whole bunch of times, but he won there, then he won on the Sunshine Tour, then he won the Sunshine Tour Tour Championship, then he won a Challenger slash Euro event in Portugal. Now he has two wins on the actual Euro Tour so far this season. Not against the best competition over in the Canary Islands, but hey, a win's a win, so that's what we're going with here. Played pretty well for stretches at the PGA Championship, too. His first ever professional tournament in America, his first ever major championship. So he's actually one of the better players in this field. I'm curious to see what his like odds and price are going to be, but I guess we'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, the other guy making his debut over in America is 21-year-old South African Wilco Niambar. Nian, Nianabur. Nianabur. All right. When he becomes better in America, I'll learn how to say his name properly. Uh, he won a Challenger Tour Sunshine event uh, at the beginning of May. He's into this event. I think he's in the PGA Championship field as well. Uh, don't quote me, or the uh, PGA Championship, the U.S. Open field at Torrey Pines next week. That's why you're not seeing anyone at this course. Uh, and it's a first time. Guys just don't want to really go out and do it, I don't think. I'm, I'd be curious to know who'd be playing in the Canadian Open right now, because it's an RBC event, so you'd get all the RBC guys, plus all the Canadian guys, and some, I mean, Rory played it a few years ago, so I don't know if that was him just getting it out of the way, so we wouldn't have to play it in subsequent years, and that was in Hamilton that year, not even Toronto, so you'd think that, like, with the course being not quite in downtown Toronto, if things were going to be opened up, Oakdale basically is, though, Jeff's course, so maybe that will draw in a lot of people uh, versus in one of the more, I mean, Hamilton's one thing, they had a good field that year, but it was all Rory and a bunch of short hitters uh, the week before prepping for the U.S. Open, trying to align the Canadian Open with where the U.S. Open is in America, I think would help too. Like having an East Coast Canadian Open and a West Coast US Open, I don't think bodes really well for the tournament. Who else is in here? We got uh, John Pack and Davis Thompson are both turning pro. This is their first event as a pro. Uh, Pack is the Hogan Award winner. He won seven times in college. And Davis Thompson is the SEC Player of the Year from 2020, 2021. Uh, they're both turning pro this week. They're in the field. Cole Hammer is playing from the University of Texas. You might remember him from the U.S. Open like six years ago when he was 15. And I think he made the cut that year. Uh, either way, he's at the University of Texas now. And Doc Redmond's college teammate from Clemson, Bryson Nimmer, local guy. He is going to be in the field as well. He's been kind of grinding it out on the Corn Ferry Tour. Not much ado about what he's going through, but maybe he's played this course a bunch of times. It's like I said, it's tough to find information. So let's just jump over to the scorecard, and this is what it's telling us. <laughs> it's 7,655 yards as a par 71. It's a long course. It's a Tom Fazio design. Bermuda green, sand everywhere. It has the natural sand traps like they had at Kiowa Island. So um, let's see. Here's what it said from some of the stuff that I found. All the sand, the, the brawny course is relatively flat with a change of only about 30 feet from its highest and lowest points. But there are some carnivorous bunkers and vast waste areas, many of which have the sharp edges like those found in the Australian Sun Belt. So we'll get to that in a second. All sandy expanses at Kong... Kong Congaree are deemed natural areas so players are permitted to ground their clubs anywhere, anytime. The bunkering is especially fearsome on the par 4 8th hole, which is 540 yards from the back tee. What's that playing, actually, in this one? Yeah, five... 
Eighth hole, yeah, 540 yards as a par four. That sounds fun. I played with Cust on the weekend. I'm going to go over all of this ROM stuff, by the way, with, with Feinberg on Monday. It's more of a Monday show topic rather than me just kind of going over. I will share the anecdote, however, that I was in the cart with Cust and we were going through everything. And I said, uh, I think it was through like 16 holes, like, fuck, Rom's on a heater right now. He's up by six over everyone. He just looked at me and goes, well, it's good because I don't need Patrick Cantlay winning because I'm in a three-man one-and-done with my friends. And the guy who's in the lead has Cantlay, and I can't have him winning. And then like an hour later, I, we were on our final hole of the night. We checked back, and it's like, it says that Rom's WD. Is that an error? And then we found out exactly what happened. So a nice Andrew curse. So hopefully that means Cantley wins at Memorial. That'd be very beneficial for me. Or if like, you know, everyone wants to get wiped out Besides, like, Reed and Siwoo, that would be nice as well. If Siwoo can come inside the top five and can't let him win, it's going to be a fucking fantastic week for me. So, hopefully that happens. Uh, some visiting pros have suggested the eighth hole of this course is the hardest par four in the world. Uh, Lucas Glover and Adam Scott are two ambassadors at this course as well. He said, if it remains firm and fast, meaning little to no rain, which it doesn't look like there is right now in the schedule, you'll see different styles of play. You'll see bombers hitting over trouble, shorter hitters running it in between the problems. So uh, essentially when we look at it, I can't imagine how this plays easy, but I, 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 if it plays firm and fast, like it's not going to play the full 7,655 yards. It's just not, uh, especially as a par 71. Uh, Fazio also does Pinehurst. He did Shadow Creek last year where they filled in for the CJ Cup. So I suppose you could look at those if you wanted identifiers. Looking at the course in general, um, they say the Australian like Sunbelt type courses, but uh, Royal Aberdeen was one that uh, we saw kind of pop up. Uh, Royal Aberdeen was the Scottish Open in 2014. You see Rose Hatton was up there, who's in the field this week. Um, Shane Lowry. It might play kind of Euro style. Danny Willett was T11 that week. Phil was up there. Rory and Casey, they're not in the field. Luke Donald is playing this week. Who else do we have who's actually in the field this week? Rafa is playing. Patty is playing. He was T27. I just don't know if it has the wind of like a Scottish Open. So what I would actually kind of venture a guess, we'll look up Higo here just to see how he performed. I think those like uh, Middle East type of events might be sort of a complex, sort of like desert golf, but the shorter hitters can play well, guys that keep it low. There's not a whole lot of rough around the greens of this course. You're going to see guys playing bump and runs in order to get it to stick, like high ball hitters. Uh, if it plays firm and fast, might not be at the greatest advantage, or maybe that they're at the greatest advantage. I don't really know. I'm just trying to speculate here based on what I've seen. Uh, so probably not Saudi so much. Let's go to Omega Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and the DB World Championship, just to see who's played well at those courses, who could be in the field this time around. Uh, like guys around the green who are historically like bad around the greens might be playing a lot of bump and runs using the hybrids or the eight irons from off of the greens and that way they can get the ball up to the proper level without putting it up into the air too much it does seem like the shorter hitters will want to keep it down use the speed of the course in order to figure everything out so we have Hatton and Lowry Lowry's not playing but obviously Tyrrell Hatton is Patty finished well in Dubai this year we're not seeing Cantor or Smooja although I think that they're both in the U.S. Open next week uh, I'm not sure if they qualified or not. You're not going to get a ton of crossover here, obviously. David Lipsky is playing, though. Uh, he got a special exemption into this tournament from the organizers, so he was over there, and this one was the Omega Dubai. Obviously, Sergio and Willett have won in that, that in the past. Over in Abu Dhabi, Hatton was the winner. I mean, 
really should have been betting Scrivener all the time. Lipsky was up there. Maybe Lipsky is actually a, like a look this week. Tends to play pretty good in these Middle Eastern events against really good fields too. Like this isn't yeah, Abu Dhabi is a no joke field when you finish behind. Hatton and Rory, and there's Rafa Cabrera Bayo. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, if you can find some stuff on like the Australian courses, and you can go back and look at the these three courses over time to find out who really does the best work. Obviously, Fitzpatrick. Uh, Reed isn't playing, but Fitzpatrick is. He's had a lot of success uh, over in Dubai, especially against the top end fields over the years. So is Fleetwood, as has Hatton. You see Brennan Grace inside the top 10. They're all guys playing this week. Sung Jay was over there. He was T14, but his game appears to be out of whack. He plays one good round and then one horrendous round coming after. Willett is super interesting, though. Because he's been kind of grinding, doing a little bit better. See, he was top uh, top 11 at the Betfred. If you want to find all this information, it's up on OWGR.com, uh, the official world golf ranking site, to find a lot of the Euro and international type stuff. So where are his best finishes? Yeah, you have the DB World Championship in Dubai first, the Omega Dubai Desert Classic first. Uh, so that's pretty decent. And he plays link-style golf, obviously, very well. So I might have a very European and international heavy card this week and just hope that Dustin and Brooks decide to use this as kind of a hit and giggle get themselves warmed up a little bit and just kind of fade the hell out of them because when we get to guess the odds I'm guessing that they're going to be very high up there and just kind of you know use a bit outside the box thinking fantasynational.com is going to be a tremendous resource this week obviously as it is every single week because you're going to want to use the stats to find some hidden guys down at the bottom the lineup generator you'll use the ownership projections and we do have the u.s open coming up so what i would recommend if you're not in on fantasynational.com yet here's what you do fantasynational.com slash mayo gets you 20% off. Wait till Wednesday, get the weekly membership. It'll go Wednesday to Wednesday, which will give you this tournament to generate your lineups and use the ownership and all that. Then you can use the next week to have all the research for the US Open as well. So it'll cost you like, I think it's seven bucks after the discount or six bucks. So you get like two tournaments for seven bucks uh, and you'll get a major championship in there as well. So that would be the best way to play it, I think. This week uh, and going forward, Charlie Hoffman, uh, maybe Texas is we always see the odd. They they compare this to a lot of Australian courses. We don't see a lot of competition outside like the President's Cup. Uh, Maybe you can go find that one like answer and HV3 won. HV3 is in the field. Uh, They won down and in the past at some of those like burnt out type courses in December at the Australian Open. But I think if you're going to look through those, maybe take a look at Texas courses by and large, only just because you see a lot of uh, Australians play well in Texas. I don't know if that's a wind thing or if that's a sand thing or because everything is burnt out a lot of the time, like this course is expected to be. So that's just another angle to play. Uh, It's one of these weeks where the traditional stats, I don't know how much they're going to help you because we have no baseline for what actually plays well here. So it's a lot of guesswork. And now you can use the modeling, which we're going to do anyway, uh, to kind of dig through everything to find out like right right now, let's just kind of jump into it and look at the stats, uh, we can just go by long courses. So courses that are over 7,400 yards. Who plays the best on those? Obviously, a lot of the international and European tour players are not going to have a ton of info. We'll look at past 24 rounds at courses from that regard. We'll take a look at Andrew Putnam here just to see what courses are popping up. So you have Wells Fargo, Valero, API, Puerto Rico, the Masters, the 3M, BMW, PGA, Genesis. This one's especially long. And the Tournament of Champions on certain days. They might mess around with the tee boxes at this course as well to find out what's going on. But if we just look at strokes game, let's go strokes game, tee to green. Chapel, good God. Fleetwood, Brooks, 
Dustin. Hey, Kyle Stanley again. Russell Knox. Knox was up there in the Aberdeen as well. He always plays the Scottish Open as a Scottish guy. Glover plays long courses really well, too. Uh, he probably has the most reps of any player in this field at this course, being one of the ambassadors who's in the field right now. So maybe the glove uh, is a guy to kind of dig into. Let's check out the glove, see what he is saying. Played ball at the Charles Schwab. Played ball at Valero. That was in Texas. That was a longer course. Don't really know. We can go and take a look at the memorial stats here in a second. I don't know if they're all messed up because of uh, what's going on <laughs> with John Rahm, if that kind of skewed everything. Rahm was first in approach, first off the tee, and second in putting at the time of his withdrawal. So he was just playing way better than everyone else at the time. I'm, I'm, it looks like he's going to be eligible for the U.S. Open because he has a 10-day quarantine. I don't know if he comes out in FU mode or he's just kind of like devastated by the entire thing. So T to green, even you see Willett is still up there, uh, even over the past 24 rounds that he's played at longer courses, uh, 12th in the field T to green. So Willett's probably going to make the short list for me. Uh, Grace will probably end up doing that as well. Just guys that are like, you, you can even see it, like guys that are really good around the greens that can play in different styles. So if you have to putt from off the green, that's good. Like Hatton's probably going to be my pick. Like, let's be realistic here. Uh, it's finally time to get back on the Tyrrell Atten bandwagon, I think. Back on Bermuda, we have a longish course at a, at a venue that I think that would set up really well for him. Although when you take a look at this, it doesn't seem like he's, uh, where is he down here? He's 50 or 42nd tee to green in this field over the past 24. The issue is with some of these, especially when you look at strokes gain total over time, is that when you get things like Corrales mixed in here, the Puerto Rico open, then you're going to see some guys pop up that shouldn't be, whereas Hatton generally only plays against really good fields. Uh, same as Dustin, same as Brooks, although there's still one and two, so maybe that should lead you to believe that I mean, they're some of the best players in the world. If they decide to show up and play well, they're going to win. Uh, it's just, you know, do you really buy into that all that much? I don't know. Kind of rambling here. It's, it's really difficult to get through this course and try to figure out what everything is going on. So Shave Greens, Fast and Firm, Creative Shot Making in general. It would have been a really good Cam Smith course, I think. Uh, the par for number three and number five, if they put the T's right, uh, if we jump back to the scorecard for a second, you can see number three, 360, and number 15, 360. If they mess around with the T's there, those could be drivable, or at least getting them back up. So uh, I do think that like even if you do miss, then you know, you're relying on your around the green work. So I think I'm going to wait around the green pretty highly, except uh, when we kind of dig into it. You know, you have things like Pinehurst is another Fazio course. And like Martin Keimer ended up winning there because he was able to put, he had a ton of greens regulation for one thing, but he was able to putt from off the green so much of the time as well that it kind of mitigated some of the stuff. So I don't know how much around the green is going to tell us, but I'm going to wait it anyway and see how it goes. Uh, do we have any par 71s that are this long? Southwind is the only one I can think of. That's over 7,400 yards. What are they giving us? Bethpage, Carnoustie, Chipotlepec. Congressional, Quail Hollow, Riviera, TPC Twin Cities, and Valhalla. So I guess that Southwind, maybe Southwind's a 70. So if you just look at those courses, that's a very limited sample. Uh, DJ, I mean, if we take a look at Watney, that might be from like 2012 or something. It goes back to 2013 in terms of his stats. So you really have to kind of dig into it this week to try to find like a comp course or, I mean, hey, there's Lipsky. What are his four from like Puerto Rico Open? Oh, Mexico. Played well in Mexico one time. All right, good good for David Lipsky. Lipsky, let's throw him on the short list of international players who play well in the in desert-style golf with a lot of sand. All right, let's turn these filters off. Build out a model, which will tell us that Brooks and DJ are the best players in the field, which won't be a huge shock. Let's go to the modeling. 
it might be a good opportunity. Like, I don't know. It's not like, oh, that's Memorial New, so let's call this one. Totally forgot what the name of this course is again. Dungarees? Is that it? Congaree. That's right. Congaree. Let's put that in here. We just want to do, we have some really long par fours, and we have some really long par fives. Let's take a look at the par fives again for a second. You have 580, 645, and 595 are the three of them that are on the course. I guess two of them seem like they're pretty reachable. Then you just have these two ridiculously long par fours. Uh, two of them measure over 500 yards. One's 540. What's the other one here? 540 and 520. You just don't see that all, all that much. So long irons seem like they'll be coming into play quite a bit. So I guess we'll wait over 200 proximity. Probably not. Let's go 20 off the tee. We'll go, yeah, we'll go 15 off the tee, 15 around the greens, 30 on approach. Let's shrink putting down to five. See what that leaves us with. 65. Put in the sand. Why not? There seems to be sand everywhere around this course. Uh, scrambling might come into it. I actually have no idea how hard or how easy that this course is going to play. Let's put a little mini look on the par fours above 500 yards. Just you don't see a lot of those. So I'm also going to include 450 to 500 as well. And I'll wait that one. I'm just going to throw in 500 and I'll wait these par fours at 10%. Uh, and then we'll go into proximity and go to 200 yard. And if we do 10% on that, what do we have to now? 85. And then we'll throw in the sand and see what that ends up giving us. Sand saves. Weight sand at 5%. We'll boost putting up. And then we'll boost driving up another 5%. We're at 99%. No, sand saves 5%. There we go. See what this spits us out. So it leaves us with off the tee, 20, approach 30 it's probably too big of a discrepancy to tell you the truth, but I have proximity stats in here as well that kind of add to what goes on with strokes gained approach. Around the green, 15, putting 10. I have 500 just to look at as a zero weighted, but I do want it in the model just so I can see that list. Par fours gained 450 to 500 yards, 10% proximity over 200 yards, 10%, and sand saves at 5%. Let's see what this spits us out. See if there's anyone interesting. Charlie Hoffman might be another good player to look at once we go back and look at some of the memorial stats after three rounds. I think round four is ongoing at the moment, but obviously the leaders aren't on the course as I'm recording this, so obviously I don't know the answers because you know if I was from the future, I'd have a much better idea of what was happening in the gambling space and actually have good picks right. So my rank in this over the past 24 rounds, Brooks, oh, it just jumped on me. Oh, Sneds is up there too. Interesting. Brooks, Hoffman, Hatton, The Glove, Varner, Sungjae, Fitzpatrick, C. Woo, Vince Whaley, Dustin Johnson. Those are your top 10. And this is without the memorial stats. I want to make sure none of the filters are on. Okay, they are not. Gim, List, Sloan, Bramlett. Martin Laird, Ben Martin, who's a local guy, by the way, Johnny Vegas, Chris Baker, the birdie maker, C.T. Pan, Patton Kazire. Those are the top 20. Then you have like Stanley and Leviota. Brennan Grace is just lurking outside. I'd assume he would vault up the list a little bit. Davis Thompson in 10 rounds is actually up there. I didn't realize Davis Thompson. No, he played really well at the RSM last year, or in 2019, missed it last year, missed in Puerto Rico, uh, misses the U.S. Open. Once again, this is his first start as a professional Although he does have stuff already. Where did John Pack play? U.S. Open? Masters? U.S. Open. Came 51st. 
Maybe John Pack is a play here. I wonder what he's going to end up coming in. I'm going to put him on the short list. Just it might be a week just to see if there's like value and discrepancy in the lines too. Like I don't know where Higo is going to rank because he'll have what four rounds? Yeah, he has four rounds of data. And making the cut, I mean, it looks like he's kind of terrible, but he had stretches at the PGA Championship where he looked really good. Then he ended up, they got cursed and gave it all back. So I think it was like two good rounds for him and like two bad rounds. Let's see. We just take a look. Really good putter, by the way. He leads the European tour in putting. So he had a good, two good approach days, two bad approach days, two decent driving days, two good around, one really good around the green day, one really bad one. I just think guys more accustomed to playing this style of golf course will have a not as steep of a learning curve. So I'll probably be in on Hego this week, and he's my guy, so I kind of got to go with him. Who leads in this weird par five? I'm Cameron Percy and Luke List, number one. So let's just see what holes this come from. So you have one from the Charles Schwab. It looks like Byron Nelson. Wells Fargo, Valspar. So there's a few that are out there, and they, at least it gives you decent enough data from what happens this year, but it's like one hole. So if it's like that, it's usually one hole, maybe two at any given time. So if you just know how to do that one really well, although Cam Percy tends to play them pretty well just over time. Um, so we'll just see who the best are of those past 24 rounds. Percy, List, John Rollins, Harrison, Frazier. Good God, he's like 90 years old, I think. Lebiota, I voted for Konos. Lahiri, Pan, Brown, Whaley, Killikeith, Mitchell. Mitchell might be a look as well. We're back on Bermuda. At least I think it's pure Bermuda. It was until the actual like official golf report comes out about the course. I won't have official numbers on that, but when I went and Googled it, that's what it said. But that's never the best. Fitzpatrick just rates out really well here for everything. Off the tee, really good. The approach has been bad. He missed the cut, obviously, but he was Andrew this week. I mean, you can't really blame the guy for that. The glove, just very good across the board. Uh, even putting-wise, Glover's been putting really well. I can't imagine that was the case at Memorial, but maybe I'll be stunned. Yeah, it's either a bunch or not a lot, although, let's see. Was Valero bent? I think Valero was bent, but Bermuda up, Bermuda up. Uh, dig into the glove a little bit more. Chuck him on the short list of guys. If I'm finding these numbers on Lucas Glover already and he has, like, the course connection, expect him to be incredibly popular. It might be actually a good chalk fade <laughs> this week when we think about it. So who are the guys on the plus 500 that also do well on the 450? So you have List, Konos, Fitzpatrick. Looks like Laird's pretty good at it. This could be a good Laird course, too. He's another good Texas player. Scottish player. I uh, can kind of play in any sort of conditions. Bermuda Benny Martin, 18th and 18th. I'm just trying to find the guys that don't have huge discrepancies. Hatton, very good from this range. Poston, Warinsky is another one. Bob Shelton. Kyle Stanley is the best from 450 to 500 yards. 52nd on 500 plus. Bramlett and Grace get better. And there's still a lot of long par fours as well, like the 450 to 500 range. Sung Jay's up there too. The one thing about the, when you look at scoring and anything like that in general, is that you're looking at putting being included into this. Now, obviously putting, big part of golf, as I've heard. Trust me, I was on the course yesterday, three putted the first three holes. Really didn't help the score. However, uh, it's tough to really parse, like, are they making 35-foot putts on these holes? And that's really swinging their scores? I don't know. Uh, until we get, like, shot-by-shot level data, that's going to be tough. Whaley, really good out of the sand. Is Whaley, like, an actual good player? Like, where the hell did this guy come from? Yeah, he was, like, kind of garbage. He's now made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine cuts in a row and he keeps getting better every single time it's kind of crazy uh, i don't know i mean this is a weaker field so you can kind of go back to him did we see anything like this from him before he was 
2020, ninth at the Puerto Rico Open, 29th at the Amex. He's made far more cuts than has missed in his PGA Tour career. Maybe the guy's like a real player. Who knows? Rafa on the comeback trail. Very good out of the sand as well. Uh, He's going to have another good performance here. I wasn't really buying it whatsoever, but it seems like whatever happened from like this range that we're looking at, from like Heritage 2020 through wells fargo 2021 he was like dead man walking but all of a sudden rafa's back i mean this is a former top 25 player in the world he's won in scotland before too so maybe someone that you can go take a look at very good out of the sand hoffman's very good out of the sand camillo good out of the sand polter said it's not going to be difficult to build like an all international team this week if you wanted to tom lewis is up there as well maybe you know after he's struggled i think the past two events but had been playing really well he missed cut charles schwab He's been bad for a while. Just seemed like the ball striking had been really good. He's like, well, I mean, I kind of hit on this with Carlos Ortiz this week coming into Memorial is that when you watch some of these guys rounds and the the overall macro stats don't really show this is that they go on these runs partway through rounds and you're like, huh, he's four under through nine holes. Then you look at the end of the day and he was like plus one. It's like, what the hell happened here? But if they can like shave off those edges and sometimes it doesn't take much that all of a sudden you're looking a lot better. It doesn't seem like scrambling uh, and around the green work, really the key to Tom Lewis's game, more of an off the tee type guy. Before we start guessing the odds, let's just go on over to the Memorial to see some of the in-tournament stats to see if anyone just can't handle these super fast bed grass greens, uh, and that's the reason that they're playing so, so poorly for the week. So we'll take a look at Memorial. We'll go to the in-tournament stats on fantasynational.com. And this gives you the entire look. I like to switch over to total so I can see the actual numbers. Uh, Rom obviously out of the tournament. So you're going to see 15.4 strokes T to green. Wow. That's crazy. Um, so Cantlay and Morikawa obviously tied for the lead at the time that we're talking. Is anyone just having a horrific week on the greens? Oh, Hideki. So, I mean, Hideki's not playing well overall, but he's lost 7.4 strokes putting. Duffner playing pretty well. Lee couldn't putt. Patty Harrington couldn't putt. Finau can't putt. Finau's actually having a great tee to green week. At Matt Wallace also having a good approach, or he missed the cut, but he had a terrible driving week, terrible putting week. Fantastic on approaches and around the green. Interesting. Chuck Hoffman's actually ball striking the shit out of the ball, can't chip or putt. So maybe he's back on the list for next week. Sung Jay couldn't putt. That's a rarity. Wasn't horrible with his iron through two rounds, but we'll see Tita Green, who's playing really well. And let's go find the guys that kind of missed the cut. Do, 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 do. The 999s is who we're looking for. So Wallace was the best tee to green who missed the cut, followed by, oh, James Han! He's down there as well. Who else? Sungjae would be up there. Henley, Cam Smith, although a lot of that was around the green work. He had McCumber, Burns, I mean, McCumber actually gained a ton on approach, couldn't putt. Bad driver of the ball, too, which is especially odd for him. Uh, Not a real shocker that he wasn't great around the greens, or that he lost strokes putting, but at the same time, uh, you wouldn't expect him to lose a stroke off the tee most of the time. See, Fratelli and Matthew Neesmith. Oh, Neesmith's approach game has come back. He's local to this area, too. At Charles Schwab, it was really bad. But you can see his approach numbers, and that was only through two rounds, are back up to where it was recently. So maybe he's kind of figured everything out. Maybe Neesmith is back on the list as a post-hype sleeper. Who knows? But let's get to the guess the odds for this week at the, wherever the hell this is, the Palmetto, starring Woody Harrelson and Elizabeth Shue. 
that's that's going to be your tournament for this week. So Brooks, DJ, Hatton, Fitz. I'll throw Chuck Hoffman onto that list. Who else? Fleetwood. It's going to be a tough betting board week. Poulter, Varner, <laughs> Grace, EVR. I guess Rafa Cabrera Bayo if he ends up really coming through in the clutch. Sungjae, Siwoo. That's kind of it for this tournament, I think. So Brooks and DJ, I think, will be your overwhelming favorites. Hatton and Fitz will probably be next level. Then the rest of the guys, like Sungjae, Siwoo. Siwoo will be after those guys, unless he was in the top 10 of Memorial at the time that we're talking. So if he finishes strong and has a top 10, he'll be like 20 to 1 or something. But Brooks and DJ, I'll say that DJ is 8 to 1. Brooks is 9 to 1. Hatton, 16. Fitzpatrick, 18. Those are probably going to be your top four. I'll give Fleetwood a 25, a Hoffman a 25, Sungjae 25, Poulter 33, Grace 35, Siwoo 35. Then I don't know what the rest of these guys. Who knows? Uh, but I think those will be the top guys on the board. Unless I'm just horribly missing someone. I don't think that I am. Uh, that's likely what you'll be looking for at the Palmetto Championship in South Carolina. Um, you know, if you enjoy the show, uh, Southern Charm, whether it be the regular Southern Charm or Southern Charm Savannah, this one falls almost directly in between those two locations. So maybe they've shot some footage before one of those two shows at this course. If you really want to do some deep dive Bravo research going through it. It was a match made in heaven. I had been trying to cut down on carbs, sugar, and unhealthy food in general, and I realized that I couldn't eat anything. Then all of a sudden, Magic Spoon tells me they want to advertise on the Pat Mayo Experience. They send me some cereal, and I keep buying some more. They sucked me in because it's so damn good. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories per serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free, and you can build your own box. So, available flavors to build your own very custom box are coca, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. Once again, I will tell everyone that fruity is the way that you want to go. It's the only thing that I get anymore. But hey, might as well try them all out and find out which one is your favorite. So, Go to magicspoon.com slash mayo to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code mayo at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash mayo and use the code mayo to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Let's be honest, you're not getting as good of a sleep as you need to be. Whether your problem is falling asleep, staying asleep, or just not feeling rested once you wake up, you're not alone. That last one is the Pat Mayo category, by the way. Not feeling rested once you wake up. More than half of Americans report having trouble with getting enough sleep. At Brickhouse Nutrition, our team of on-staff physicians is on a mission to get heads on pillows and would like to introduce Dreams Sleep Aid by taking science-backed ingredients like melatonin and combining them with natural ingredients from the earth, like valerian root and jujube fruit. 
Dreams is a perfect blend for the perfect sleep. Go to BrickHouseSleep.com and get 15% off your first order at checkout with promo code MAYO. Sound to sleep like a brick. BrickHouseSleep.com, promo code MAYO. Julio Jones traded, we think, to the Tennessee Titans for at least a second round pick. It is not official as I am recording this video, but it does seem like it's going to happen as it's being reported by Ian Rappaport, helping me to break this all down from FTN Daily, FTN Bets, and FTNFantasy.com is going to be Derek Brown. Remember to use promo code MAYO to get yourself a discount over at all of the FTN sites. And remember to smash the like button to the video and in the comments section, tell me where you would have A.J. Brown ranked amongst receivers for this season and where you would have Julio Jones ranked this season amongst wide receivers receiver very curious now give me a calvin ridley ranking while we're at it as well those three guys where do they rank at the wide receiver position for half point ppr in season long fantasy football leagues going forward debo you excited for this or what (laughs) i'm excited pat i mean i think this is a really good nfl move now look i still think that julio jones can play i've got some concerns about the the fantasy implications for him in tennessee um I can say I'm definitely, I'm going to be bumping him down in ranks. This is one of the worst case scenarios for me personally. Okay, so let's run through the Tennessee side of this deal anyway uh, to start off with. Then we'll go to the Atlanta side and what that means for the Falcons. So on the Tennessee side, we had most people almost consensusly had A.J. Brown inside the top five. Does he move from inside the top five for you? Like, Are you actually downgrading A.J. Brown because of this? I was lower on A.J. Brown just because of uh, Todd Downing, pace, passing rate, and a few other things regarding him anyway. He was not in my top five over at FTN Fantasy. I'll move him down maybe slightly a peg. I mean, like, if we're buying into A.J. Brown, it was a lot of it, like, just monstrous volume, target share. And some of that is going to be dented with Julio Jones there. He'll still be probably a top 15 wide receiver after I kind of shift this all out. Still a top 15, so you don't think that he's any longer inside the top 10 at wide receiver? I don't think so. I mean, Julio Jones is going to command targets, and this this team is not going to morph into a top five, top ten passing rate team. I mean, what really helped A.J. Brown and Corey Davis last year was just an immense efficiency. I mean, they were so efficient with the targets, and they're still going to be the guys there. I mean, I, I can't fault that at all, but I think Julio is definitely going to – I mean, he's going to hurt A.J. Brown's targets and the target share. He is. Who do you think is going to end up with more of a target share between the two? Do you think it's going to be Julio who attracts all the volume and then the high efficiency big plays are going to go to A.J. Brown? Or do you because if, if realistically we're looking at this offense and it's a r- really rough, he's going from a very pass heavy offense to a very what we think is going to be a run heavy offense with Derrick Henry still commanding the majority of touches in this offense, although the OC from Tennessee now in Atlanta. So I don't know exactly how the Tennessee offense is precisely going to shake down, but realistically, it's still just two guys plus Ferkser are the only ones there mm-hmm. to catch passes. So even if his target share is down, he wasn't going to have a 50% target share as it was. He could still be up around 25, 26, 27. They both could be at this point. I, yeah. And I think that that's a, a good estimation of it. I mean, I, I see it very similarly. I think that AJ Brown is going to be the big play threat. I think Julio Jones is probably going to out-target him. I mean, it's. I think it's really going to be very, very close. I think both these guys are going to fall somewhere in the 22 to 25% range. Because, yes, I mean, there's a lot of different – like, I was never in on Josh Reynolds. I don't think that he's that much of an NFL talent. Um, so, I mean, it depends on how low we want to bump these guys down. 
I was low on this offense coming into the season because a lot of what made it so special is that quietly last year, even though they were so run heavy, they were top five in pace last year. The last time we saw Todd Downing command an NFL offense, it was disgusting, Pat. Like, it was nasty. He found a way to capsize an offense. And I know that Carr was there, and yes, he's not great. But it was also an offense in 2017 that had Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree at their heydays in that time. So he found a way to sit here and slow them down and capsize that offense. I'm not in on him being able to really elevate the parts and pieces here. I think Arthur Smith is really just that good of a play caller as well. Well, we might see a downgrade, especially in terms of the play action and the efficiency on play action, which Mm -hmm. Ryan Tannehill has been really good at since joining the Titans. That the one thing you do bring up, though, of those Oakland teams with Crabtree and Cooper, they both commanded over a 25% market share of their team's targets. They were both viable options every single week. Some of the best teams to actually stack in DFS going forward. So if you're playing like best ball and you're looking to stack teams, Tannehill, Brown, and Julio make a lot of sense uh, because we do have this history of two receivers commanding the majority of the targets in one offense. And just there's very little else to go around. So you might see like, you said Josh Reynolds, Chester Rogers might get a few deep shots every single game or a few bubble screens, depending on where he ends up lining on the field. I actually think that both these guys could be top 20 receivers. And the, the issue for me is that we want to say that A.J. Brown is the better talent because he's so much younger. We see the, the massive mm-hmm. upside. But this is still Julio. He's a Hall of Fame receiver. And he doesn't seem cooked to me. Uh, if you just mm-hmm. gave him like his expected touchdowns based on his volume from last year. He was like a top five guy. He just didn't score that many touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, if you head over to FTN network right now, I mean, our, our awesome social team put out a tweet that was talking about Julio Jones and his efficiency. I mean, since 2016, even last year when he was injury plagued and he was dealing with stuff all season, he's been top five in yards per route run in every single season since 2016. That's including 2020. So I'm with you. I don't think that he's washed. I think that he still can be immensely productive. And if we're talking about an offense that was efficient enough last year, yes, I do have my concerns about the play action percentage going down, the efficiency going down. But I think Julio Jones, I mean, really, I mean, look, I I get that people love A.J. Brown. I understand it. I love the man, too. I love his talent. But Julio Jones is far, far from done as a really effective top 15, top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. We don't know where this is going to impact their average draft positions, both in redraft and in best ball right now. Mm -hmm. But where do you imagine, like, where was A.J. Brown going and where do you think he'll go now? And where was Julio going and where do you think that he'll go now? A.J. Brown, at least the last best ball drafts that I've been doing this week, uh, was going inside the top 20 players. He was not making it outside of the second round. I think that his, it's probably not going to fall a ton if um, I'm just speculating ADPs. I think he'll probably stay somewhere that within the top 25, top 30 players. Like, I don't see him falling outside of the third round. I think a lot of people, at least in early best balls, are really dug in their heels about they're, they're so high on A.J. Brown. So I think it'll dent him some, but not a ton. I think Julio Jones, for everybody that – was already out on him. And I mean, look for the entire off season, I've been getting him in the late third round and fourth rounds of a lot of drafts. I actually think he could just fall a little bit more. I won't be surprised if that happens. Um, I also won't be surprised if his ADP stays really static. Um, But I think that a lot of people could use this as a, at least an avenue to fade Julio Jones even more saying, Oh, it's, you know, it's passing rate and and it's not going to happen. And AJ Brown's still the guy. So 
I actually think we could see more of an ADP dip for Julio than AJ Brown. And maybe he becomes uh, more of a value considering all these things. Well, with that said, like if there's going to be two rounds of difference between them, potentially, and we'll see how this all shakes mm-hmm. out. What would you put the percent chance that if we, you know, if we have a hundred percent, how many times out of a hundred does AJ Brown outscore Julio Jones this season? Do you think is it like 60, 40, 65, 35? Is it 55, 45? Cause I could see them being exceptionally close. I think it's 50-50, and honestly, I think it could be like 45-55 in favor of Julio at this point. Interesting. So if that's the case, that makes Julio one of the better value picks on the board. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's been a screaming value the entire offseason because people have been willing to fade him, and whatever bad narrative narrative people want to buy into, it's, oh, he's injury prone. Okay, well, he's played 15 or more games in every single season except for 2013, or he's washed. Okay, well, all the metrics we just talked about – That's not true either. And now we're going to sit here and talk about, okay, well, wide receivers changing teams. Okay, for everybody that faded DeAndre Hopkins last year, how'd that turn out for you? Great, good. Hmm. I know very different situation, but for all these parts, again, there's a lot of different like easy little cherry pick narratives for people to sit here and tug on, to sit here and drop Julio Jones. So yeah, I think he's going to be, he's been a great value all off season. And I think he's going to continue to be a good value too. People were pumping up Anthony Ferkser as potential sleeper tight end. Um, I don't know if that's... Hi, I'm one of them. Right, okay, but does, but does this hurt him, though? Because I don't know if it does, it does or not. I think it hurts him in some aspects. Like, I was very, very bullish on his target share and the, the possible volume because, again, I was not in on Josh Reynolds. I thought Ferkser was going to be the number two in this offense. So, for me, it does hurt his upside as far as volume because we're talking about... Julio Jones is going to command a large market share of these targets here. But the part where I think that Anthony Fersker could still pay off and be a top 12 tight end this year, and I know that bar is extremely low and that's not saying a ton, is that the Titans have run a ton of their red zone offense over the last few seasons through the tight end position. And Anthony Fersker is basically Tennessee's version of Mike Gusecki. If he's out on the field, he's playing a wide receiver. Um, You look over his entire career. 84% of his snaps have come either in the slot or out wide. I don't think that that changes a ton because he can't block very well. So I'm going to move him down in my ranks over at FTN Fantasy a little bit. But I do think that there is still upside here considering the touchdowns and just tight end. It's a low bar to hit, Pat, as far as like saying, okay, he's a tight end one. Yeah, so when it comes to things like that, Jake Jake Seeley and I have gone through the NFC East and the AFC East. If you haven't watched those shows or downloaded them yet, highly suggest you do it. They're up on Mayo Media Network right now in the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Subscribe to the network while you're at it. Smash the like while you're at it as well. It only helps us be able to provide instantaneous reactions to breaking football news all the time. That's what those likes and those subs end up doing. It just fuels us. I mean, it's the motivation to keep itself going, but you know, it also just helps us keep everything free on that. So those are giant shows breaking down each of the teams in those divisions. And we talk about tight end a lot over those shows when it gets like the Evan Ingrams of the world or even the Blake Jarwins. Ferkser's kind of with those guys. Like if they're not going in the last round, essentially don't take them. Is that sort of the advice? Pretty much. I mean, it's either my strategy for the tight end position is you pay up or you punt and where these guys are going to go. Like if, if Ferkser's ADP, which was climbing in recent weeks, um, I think more people were hopping on the bandwagon. It was climbing. If it's going to go down, then yeah, I I think it's just, you, you pick whoever's going to go the latest. I mean, stealing the, the, the wonderful new England narrative that we play on every single year, whoever's going to go the latest out of your late round guys go with them. 
let's switch over to the Atlanta Falcons and figure out what's going on with their offense now. Is Kyle Pitts a tight end that you absolutely have to go get now that Julio is gone? Or are we still playing the rookie tight end narrative that it takes some time for this to come to fruition? I'm going to, I mean, I already had him as a top six guy. I think that the volume and, and we were kind of projecting that Julio was going to be heading out of Atlanta. I think the volume is going to be there for him to have that type of upside. Now I'm not, I'm still not willing to sit here and put him top three, top four. I mean, maybe he gets to four, but really, I mean, outside of those top three guys, I mean, we're talking about Kelsey Waller Kittle. I don't see him accessing that type of ceiling. I mean, I think there is something to a certain degree of the rookie tight end narrative. Just because, I mean, we haven't seen it, but the other thing about it, we, we haven't seen Kyle Pitts, a player of his his talent, and now the volume that he's going to be walking into. Because I will say, Pat, like, I was never in on, like, a lot of the, okay, well, so Julio moves on. Um, how do you feel about Russell Gage? How do you feel about Zacchaeus? I was like, not great so is somebody gonna get targets i think atlanta is gonna be a pass first team i don't think we're gonna see mike davis getting derrick henry as volume so i think that the hype has been extremely loud all off season for kyle pitts it's definitely not going down right now if anything it's gonna be turned up to 11 so it really depends on where his adp creeps up to I can see it creeping up pretty highly. And then I look at someone who's in a very similar situation with not exactly the same pedigree. He wasn't known as like a generational talent coming out of college. But TJ Hawkinson was a pretty high-end talent himself. And I think that he has better access to an even higher target share in his crappy offense, Mm -hmm. albeit the offense is projected to be a whole lot worse than the Falcons offense, especially with Jared Goof throwing you the ball. But he could be the number one in that offense. And Pitts is not going to be the number one in this offense. That I mean, that I, I'm totally with that. I think that Hawkinson, I'm not going to say that he's on the exact same plane or area code as Kyle Pitts as far as talent, but can he out-target him in an offense where, yes, Jared Goff does not want to throw outside the numbers. Jared Goff does not want to throw in contested situations. Jared Goff really I mean, doesn't want to get hit. The only thing that Jared Goff likes to do, which is great for TJ Hawkinson, it's throw over the middle of the field where guys are running open. And that's what TJ Hawkinson is going to be doing. So, I think that even a median target projection, putting Hawkinson a shade above Kyle Pitts, and then we talk about touchdown equity in the offense, I don't think it's insane to talk about them in the same breath at all. Does this elevate Calvin Ridley into top five wide receiver status? I think it does. I absolutely think it does. And for Atlanta, we talked about they're going to be passing. I'm not saying they're going to be top five in the NFL in passing rate, but they're going to be in the top 10, I believe. Well, hold and on hold, really... hold on a second, though. We, we bring in a new coach, mm-hmm. so this is not the same offense that we're dealing with. And we mm-hmm. just come with the new head coach. He comes from an offense where all they did was try to run the ball on first and 10 every single time. I'm not convinced that this is going to be the same looking Atlanta offense that we're used to. I think it's going to be different, but the parts of pieces where I think that are going to be different is I think they are going to get back to running high amounts of play action. I think it's going to make this offense more efficient. And I think the passing volume is going to be there because the offense, I mean, well, hold on. The defense is still going to stink, absolutely stink. And with the, I mean, we talked about Mike Davis. I just don't think that they have a running back in that room that can sit here and garner that volume, possibly stay healthy for a full 17 games. And I, and I know we can't go through the NFL season, or at least at this point, and say, okay, well, this guy is going to get injured. We did see Mike Davis wear down a little bit. 
And I think that they're going to be forced to pass a, a ton. Now, again, I don't think they're going to be top three, top five in passing rate, but top 10, I think they can definitely hit that mark. And then the market share that Calvin really is going to garner and the fact that he's already shown us last year that he can be the guy when Julio is out, he's been fantastic whenever Julio hasn't been on the field. Yeah, like if he breached like 30% market share in this offense, not going to be super stunned. And plus the talent that goes along with it. And as you said, just take a look at what he's done whenever Julio has missed time. He's just like an auto lock every single week as a top five guy to play. So drafting him as a top five wide receiver this year makes a whole lot of sense. If it's not Ridley and it's not Pitts, you said, oh, is it Zacchaeus? Is it Blake? Is it Gage? Like Gage is going to be their slot guy. I don't know if Pitts takes away from that in the sort of market share that he sees, but is it going to be Zacchaeus on the outside? Because one of the main reasons to make this Julio trade is to get themselves out of cap space hell. So it's not like they're going out and signing anyone else. May, I guess Larry Fitzgerald, they could coax out of retirement potentially. <laughs> I mean, I think Zacchaeus is a good shot late round. Like I, I am not a Russell Gage fan. I, I don't believe that he is going to be great this year, especially if we see Atlanta run a lot of 12 personnel and you're going to push one of those wide receivers to the outside. I actually believe that Zacchaeus could be a better fit again, like we're talking about as the outside wide receiver. And then if that's the case, Russell Gage's snaps are going to be capped. I mean, if Tennessee's offense or at least Atlanta's offense resembles anything close to what Tennessee did previously in the sense of 12 personnel, which I think they were above 30 to 35% of 12, then we're seeing a Russell Gage snap share capped, but if Zacchaeus is the outside guy, is he going to be capped? I don't believe so. So I would much rather you're doing these FFPC drafts. You're doing these drafts where you're going <laughs> really deep, 20 plus rounds. Um, give me Zacchaeus where he's going to go at the very tail end of this. Um, if you're going for a third tight end, and I know he's not really good. I know he's not really shown us a ton. But if you're looking for a third tight end, and if they've run a lot of this offense through 12 personnel, Hayden Hurst at the very end, and he catches five, six touchdowns this year, I don't hate that at all. In the backfield, we've seen all the Mike Davis pitchers, and I don't know if he's actually <laughs> a good receiving back or he was just used as a somewhat dump dump off type guy because the entire Carolina offense was geared around Christian McCaffrey and dumping the ball off to him. And then Davis just steps in. They're like, well, I don't really feel like changing. So we're just going to dump the ball off to you half the time anyway. Do you think that he ends up being a receiver in this offense at all? Or is there anyone behind him on the Falcons depth chart that you could see becoming more involved now that they do have a need for some pass catchers? So I, I think that Davis is going to corner a target share. My whole problem is how much of that is it going to be? Because, yes, Carolina has run, and, and I know that new offensive system, they had Brady last year, but even Brady at LSU showed us that they want to he wanted to run a lot of the passing game through the running back position. So I think that Mike Davis's target share, if anybody's projecting last year's numbers into this year, I, I don't think that he's going to sit here and see that same type of target share. I've been talking about it. Look, everybody has been discussing, it, whether it's Dynasty, whether it's Deep Best Ball, you're doing these large field tournaments, and, oh, we need to talk about J.B. and Hawkins as last-round pick. And I'm like, why? Why are we talking about J.B. and Hawkins as a last-round pick? Um, you you want to craft the Philip Lindsay narrative of the guy that just came out of nowhere and he's sub-190 pounds and what have you, and he caught a grand total of, I think it was either 19 or 20 passes in college altogether. And now he's going to catch passes in the NFL. If I'm taking a second back out of that backfield, for me, it's going to be Quadre Olsen. And is it is it pretty? No. But 
we're talking about a guy that's 6'1", over 200 pounds, 220, I believe, who actually has some receiving acumen on his collegiate resume. I mean, the guy caught 50 passes at his time at Pitt. He had a season of over 20 receptions. So we're going to discuss anybody that could sit here and steal some work away from Mike Davis. If Mike Davis goes down, or we're talking about late last round picks before we go to training camps. And if injuries strike anywhere, Quadri Olsen is the bet that I'm making. It's not JV and Hawkins. And it surely is not Caleb Huntley, who is still somewhere in the ether running a 40. I think his pro adjusted 40 time was 4.8. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't want the fullback that's playing running back. No, no, full of void. And we're looking at a situation, too, where Arthur Smith was brought in to call plays in this offense, being the offensive coordinator, just sort of a, a glorified assistant QB coach. Uh, what was his name? Dave Rangone? Ragone? Ragone? <laughs> anyway, when, when you're with the Bears and you're a quarterback's coach, I mean, it's probably not the best idea in the world to hand the play calling over to you. So we do see some similarities between the Titans offense last year and the Falcons offense this year. Maybe there's just not going to be a large market share of passes to running backs anyway, even if they are in desperate need, because it's not like the Titans were overflowing with receiving talent and they still didn't throw the Derrick Henry ever. No, and, and Derrick Henry actually showed us the ability to break off long plays. It's like, okay, he might not be a great receiver, but at least give the man a few targets because what's he going to do? He's going to house like two or three of those on a, on a, every single season. So even if he, he has stone hands, give the man the ball. And they, they showed us. They were like, no, nah, we're not doing that. So if Mike Davis doesn't even have that type of breakaway ability to take one 60, 70 yards to the house, I think his target share is going down. And we can just see more check downs to whether it's Kyle Pitts, whether it's Hayden Hurst whether it's one of these other wide receivers over Mike Davis. So what I'm taking from this discussion is that Calvin Ridley, top five receiver, A.J. Brown might be being overdrafted inside the top 20 picks now that he has Julio Jones around, who could be his equal, and Julio Jones is likely going too late at this point and might end up becoming the value that we want. And then when we look at someone like Kyle Pitts, you might just get the exact same stats are better from TJ Hawkinson, who is probably likely going to go a few rounds after him now. Is that sort of what we've figured out? Oh yeah. I mean, check, check all those boxes and considering, especially, I mean, we talked about Hawkinson, if he's going to go like two to three rounds later, considering how deafening the pit type is going to get, I give me a lot of TJ Hawkinson and best fall and redraft, because again, the stink of all these bad teams is real and uh, Dan Campbell isn't helping himself showing up with NASCAR helmets on. Okay. So TJ Hawkinson, <laughs> he, he could be a, a, even a better value the closer we get to week one. Uh, and Zacchaeus would probably be the flyer wide receiver in Atlanta to take your shot on right now before we know how all of this is going to shake out because he could just be on the field like 80% of the time. And Russell Gage, more of a slot receiver, you're probably not going to see him on the outside. Christian Blake feels like he's had his shots in the past. They do have Cordero Patterson on the roster. Maybe that oh, could be a Lord. <laughs> I Look, I, <laughs> we're taking shots. I mean, look, Patterson's uh, shown some talent, but oh. Um, I mean, I know we're, 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 we're grabbing at some straws here, but Lord, Lord, that's going to be a deep league. <laughs> yeah. So how about you just take a pass on old Cordero unless they count special teams points in your league. And if the flyer is going to be there, Zacchaeus <laughs> would be the most logical option, whether he's a good option or not. We don't know. Derek Brown, tell everyone what you got going on over at FTNFantasy.com right now. Yeah, so Brad and I are, are still going through all 32 teams. We got booms, busts, breakouts, and bets. Those are live and free. 
But then if you want all the other content over at FTN Fantasy that I am pumping out weekly, uh, whether it's best ball, whether it's dynasty, whether it's redraft, looking at all these different situations, players you should be high on and players maybe we need to pump the brakes on. Yeah, I mean, I've got a ton coming out as well as our podcast between Adam Pfeiffer and I. Uh, we're rocking four to five episodes. Lots of good content there every single week at Fade the Chalk. Thanks again, Pat. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for hopping on for the Emergency Pat Mayo Experience podcast. You can download the audio version wherever you download podcasts. Rate and review five stars while you're out there as well. Smash the like, subscribe to Mayo Media Network. And if you missed the NFC East and AFC East fantasy team previews with myself and Jake Seeley, highly suggest you go check those out right now. Okay? I'm Pat Mayo. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo Experience! Experience!